You are listening to a sermon by New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. If you have your Bibles or your insert, I'd invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3 verses 1 through 19 is the scripture reading for this morning. As is our tradition, let's stand together to hear the word of the Lord. People of God, listen carefully, for this is the word of the Lord. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart and have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom he was provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to those, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So far, the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Father, we are a weary, fragile, and frail people, much like these Israelites who wandered in the wilderness wanderings, but even these early Christians to whom Hebrews was written, like them often we get discouraged, disappointed, depressed, because life is difficult with our trials and tribulations and temptations, Lord, sometimes our hearts do grow hard. So, Lord, I pray that you would give us the hope we find, especially in the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that declares not only who he is, but what he has done for us, a weary pilgrim people. So speak to us through your living and active word. 
for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, I don't know about you, but hope can be a very powerful motivator. Hope can be a very powerful motivator. I've shared this story before, but I think it's worth repeating. Perhaps you've heard this story about these group of scientists in Norway that decided to do an experiment with these warfrats, these Norwegian warfrats. Well, to test their resolve, the scientists would take these rats one by one and place them into a large vat. Then they would begin to fill that vat slowly with water. When the water level was high enough that the rats couldn't stand on the bottom, the scientists began to time how long they would last treading the water, these Norwegian wharf rats, before they would give up. And interestingly, time and time again, every rat that began to swim, now I don't know if this is how wharf rats swim, but every time they would always give up after just 20 minutes, they would stop swimming and lose hope. So they tried another experiment with another group of wharf rats. After the expected 20 minutes or so had elapsed, right before the rats gave up, <coughs> excuse me, the scientists scooped up the raft rats to safety. They rescued them right when they were about to lose hope and drown. And after giving these rats some time to rest and catch their breaths, they took these rats, right? The ones who had been rescued. The ones who had res- experienced salvation. The ones who had experienced hope. They put them back into the vat. Slowly started to fill the vat with water. You're following along so far, right? Remember, these were the rats that experienced rescue. And the water began to rise. The f- the vat began to fill with water and the scientists started their timer. And as they reached the 20 minute mark, they watched carefully. They kept swimming. 40 minutes elapsed. 60 minutes elapsed. They kept swimming. One hour, two hour, they didn't give up. They kept on swimming. Would you believe for 17 hours? Rats who at first would give up after 20 minutes, after experiencing rescue, filled with hope that perhaps they might be rescued again, kept swimming for 17 hours. Why? They remained steadfast, didn't give up because they experienced rescue. They kept swimming because they experienced salvation. Indeed, hope can be very powerful. And even when the waters may be turbulent around you and you feel like you're about to drown from the exhaustion of this life, friends, you can keep swimming. Because as followers of Christ, you've experienced rescue. The hope of rescue. And the author of Hebrews understands this. And he wants to encourage discouraged Christians who are being tempted to essentially give up and get out of this new religion that they've experienced. These Hebrew Christians wanted to get out because they were discouraged and they wanted to give up. And so he wrote to them to remain steadfast, don't give up. Specifically here in chapter 3, he wants them to remain faithful and keep swimming. Don't give up, he says. And he does so by comparing Jesus to Moses. And by taking them back into the history of Israel to this paradigmatic event 
from Exodus 17. And so after demonstrating the author here of Hebrews, after demonstrating that Jesus is greater than the angels, he shifts his focus here in chapter 3 to compare him to Moses, one of the greatest leaders in Israelite history. And he says something very simple. He says, Jesus is greater. Something greater has come. And he states unequivocally to those listening, those early Christians 2,000 years ago, and to those, yes, listening to his voice today, since Jesus the Son is greater than Moses the servant, stay faithful and keep swimming. By having courage in the present hardship and hope in the future promise. So we're going to take a look at that theme. That since Jesus the Son is greater than Moses the servant, stay faithful, keep swimming by having courage in the present hardship and hope in the future promise by looking at three exhortations or three commands that he gives that really drive this chapter. Three commands. In verses one through six, the main command there is I think he calls on these Christians to keep swimming, to not give up by considering Jesus. He says, consider Jesus. Then the second exhortation in verses seven through 11 is actually says, consider your heart. He actually warns them to not grow hard in their hearts by using this story from Israel. And then the last section in chapter 3, verses 12 through 19, he says, now consider one another. So he says, consider Jesus, consider your heart, and consider one another. So that's how we're going to take a look and break down this chapter and see what it has to say to us as it encourages us to remain steadfast, to remain faithful to keep swimming. So first, let's take a look at the first six verses in which he calls us that in the midst of trials and tribulations when you want to give up, he says, consider Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, he says. After reminding his readers about their heaven-bound status before God, the preacher here in Hebrews gives his first command, consider Jesus, or in other words, fix all your thoughts, think carefully about, pay close attention to, yes, Jesus. Stay faithful. That's one of the key ways to stay faithful is by remembering Jesus. Why? Because when you're going through difficult times, you actually focus on a lot of other things than Jesus. Don't, Don't we all? And it seems pretty straightforward as commands go, but once you see the qualifiers to this Jesus, namely, why? Stay, f- stay focused on Jesus, our apostle and high priest. That's what he says. This idea gets thicker with meaning and significance. It appears that the preacher felt it necessary to remind them of the importance of not losing sight of the centrality of Jesus in their lives. Clearly, knowledge of the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is, and what he has done was significant to the challenges they were facing. Whether their challenges were theological or political, social or psychological, the author here wants to remind all of us that considering Jesus yet again was actually really vital to remaining faithful. Now, interestingly, these titles that he uses is not what you would actually expect You might expect him to say, consider Jesus the Son of God. Consider Jesus the Christ. Consider Jesus our Lord and Savior. And those would be good titles to remind us of who Jesus is and what he has done. But interestingly, he chooses to call Jesus apostle and high priest. 
And so we want to take a closer look at that. Why? Because I think faithfulness or remaining faithful involves knowing and believing certain realities, certain truths about Jesus. So let's take a look at these two titles and see what it has to teach us. First, he says Jesus, consider Jesus our apostle. Very interesting title. It's actually used only one time in the New Testament. Here. Jesus is called an apostle or one who has been sent forward or sent out to signify the fact that he was sent as an official ambassador, as a herald, as a proclaimer, as a messenger of the king of kings. Unlike any other messenger, ambassador, or herald, or proclaimer, Jesus is the one who had been sent by God fully adorned with the authority of God, Jesus is unique because he can only, he's the only one that can represent God himself. Friends, think about that. He's saying, think carefully about, pay close attention to this Jesus that you believe. This Jesus has been sent by God uniquely with the authority of God himself. And so what's the point? He's saying, so, If he is this herald, this proclaimer that's been sent by God, this ambassador, listen carefully to everything he says. Listen carefully to everything that he says. Why? Because oftentimes when we're discouraged and depressed, it seems like there are so many other voices crowding our minds and our hearts. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, friends, if you want to keep swimming, One of the keys to doing that is to listen to his voice as he has spoken to you in his word. So that's the first thing. Then he also says he's also our high priest. A very interesting title. The preacher here of Hebrew pairs pairs this title of apostle to high priest. He reminds them that Jesus is a merciful and faithful high priest who in the service of God makes propitiation or he sacrifices on behalf of the sins of the people. But what's interesting about this high priest, unlike every other high priest in the Old Testament, who killed animals and placed them on the altar, this high priest is very unique because he placed himself on the altar, sacrificed himself on the altar. You know, Jesus isn't someone who talks a good game. He walks the talk. He appeased the wrath of God by placing himself on the cross. He is no ordinary high priest. And so, friends, if this is the high priest that we must consider, keep trusting in him, even when it's hard. As you're going through your wilderness wanderings, keep trusting, because you have a high priest who sympathizes with all of your weaknesses, who has been tempted in every way, and knowing that you have sinned against him, placed himself on the altar. And this is who they need to keep, pay close attention to. Friends, when you want to give up, consider Jesus. Hold on to him. Because he is your apostle, keep listening to him. He is your high priest, keep trusting in him. Jesus was sent by God to speak to you, but also to sacrifice himself for you. So be, be faithful. Jesus is one who speaks and sacrifices. 
And this confession of Jesus as apostle and high priest is vital to maintaining our fidelity, especially when we're going through various trials and we're tempted to give up on God. And how often when we are tempted, when we want to give up, are we tempted not to listen, not to trust. But as if that wasn't enough, he does one last thing in these first six verses to encourage us to consider Jesus. He compares and he contrasts Jesus to Moses, this great Israelite leader. He simply put, he says this to you. He says, Jesus is not only faithful like one of your former leaders. He's actually greater than him. You see, the preacher here builds upon the argument he's making to help them remain faithful when they're tested and want to give up. First, he says in verse 2, notice, that Moses was a faithful mediator representing God in doing what? Remember, he led them through the wilderness, especially as they were fleeing from Pharaoh and the Egyptian. But Jesus is even greater. Why? Because Jesus is greater than Moses who is leading you through your wanderings, in your exodus, to your promised land in heaven. He is a faithful mediator representing God for new Israel, the church, especially in your exodus to your promised land. Something greater has come. But the preacher goes one step further. In addition to comparing Moses to Jesus, he states secondly that Jesus is ultimately greater than Moses in verses 3 through 6 by using an architectural imagery. Did you notice that? The preacher reminds us that there's a big difference between the creature and the creator. So though Moses was a faithful servant of God's household, managing the household of Israel, he said Jesus is greater and more glorious because he's not just a servant. He's actually the son. He's the beloved son. So keep following him. Keep following Jesus because he's greater than Moses and he will lead you through whatever difficulty you may be experiencing. So this comparison and contrast of Moses and Jesus as mediator will become more clear as we look at the rest of of the chapter, but the key takeaway for us is this. You know, the preacher here exhorts us to consider Jesus, right? Consider Jesus so you can stay faithful when the trials and temptations come. That is, fix all your thoughts, think carefully about, pay close attention to, to the reality, to the truth that Jesus officially speaks to you on behalf of God. Let him speak to you and listen. Jesus sacrificed himself for you as our high priest. So keep trusting, especially in the hard time. And Jesus is the great mediator taking us from bondage to blessing. So keep following even when it feels like you're in the wilderness. So listen, trust, follow. Consider Jesus. So after exhorting us to consider Jesus, he, he actually turns to a second exhortation in verses 7 through 11. Let's take a look at that. Here he focuses his, his command to us. His first command was consider Jesus, who he is and what he's done for us. Now he says consider your own hearts. Why? Because he knows that our hearts are fickle and so easily swayed. And in this particular situation, so easily to become hard. Our hearts so easily become hard to the Lord and to his ways. 
In verses 7 through 11, the preacher here pivots inward as he commands us to consider our hearts. This is important. Remember verses like Proverbs 4.23, it says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. So what does he do to compel us to guard our hearts with all vigilance? So let me take a look at verses 7 through 11 again. Look specifically at verse 8. He says, at the end of verse 7, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in that rebellion on that day of testing in the wilderness. As Pastor Kevin said at the call to worship, this actually harkens back to a story in the Old Testament. Here is Psalm 95. The preacher here is quoting from Psalm 95, which is actually quoting from Exodus 17. Are you following? So he's telling you, I'm telling you, look at Hebrews 3. The guy of Hebrews 3 is telling you, look at Psalm 95. And the psalmist in Psalm 95 is saying, look at Exodus 17. So he's presupposing that you know all of these passages. So it's important, I think, for us to understand the author here of Hebrews, we actually have to go all the way back to this paradigmatic event during the wilderness wanderings of Israel. During these 40 years, 40 long years when the Lord tested their faith while also demonstrating his faithfulness to them. So, if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you, let's go back to Exodus 17 because I think it'll be instructive for us to take a look at this passage and see what it has to teach us about hardening of our hearts and why we might be tempted to harden our hearts. What kind of situations and circumstances in our lives occur that may cause us to harden our hearts? So Exodus 17, 1 through 7, if you don't have your Bibles, listen as I I read this. So all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin in stages according to the commandment of the Lord. And they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for people to drink. So again, they're in the desert, wandering, and naturally they get thirsty. Verse 2, therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink, Moses. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? Verse 3, but the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt? Our life was so good there. We had plenty of water and milk and honey. Yes, we were slaves, but at least we had water. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Verse 4, so Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Verse 6, behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people shall drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? This is not just some simple story from the history of the Israelites. In fact, here, we can actually call this the desert courtroom of Massa and Meribah because something very serious is occurring here that gives us a lesson about the hardening of hearts. 
And as a legal, as I'll soon explain to you, there's three legal elements will unfold in this drama in Exodus 17. A charge will be presented in this legal setting, a verdict will be rendered, and a sentence will be executed. And it will teach us about our own hearts. Okay? So first, the charge, what's going on? As you heard in verse 2, there's actually this, this plea to give us water is actually a charge. It's actually similar to a lawsuit that someone would give in a courtroom. How can I say that? Because this word used uh, or translated quarrel here in Hebrew is actually a very unique word. It's not your run-of-the-mill arguing over who has control over the remote to change the channel or something. It's not that kind of quarreling, that kind of grumbling and mumbling, although the Israelites did a lot of that. It's actually a specific word that refers to bringing a lawsuit against It's a very serious situation here. Behind this plea is this charge. Well, who's the charge against? Well, it's against Moses, but it's actually more specifically, it's against God himself. You see, God is being accused of abandoning Israel to die in the wilderness. So you have to picture it in your minds. Here they are trying to follow God in their life of faith. They're about to die. Their children are about to die. Their livestock are about to die. They're suffering, their family is suffering, and their finances are suffering. And here's the kicker. Rather than leaving the future up to chance, what do they say? By essentially giving this charge, they're basically saying, you know what, God? I don't think I can trust you anymore. I want out. I want out of this relationship. I want a divorce. That's actually what's happening here in Exodus 17. This is a legal charge. A lawsuit is brought up by the Israelites against God by saying, I don't want to be in this relationship anymore. I don't think I can trust you. Well, here, what is the charge? It's actually treason or breach of a promise, breach of a contract. Why do we know that? Because in verse 4, Moses is afraid of stoning. This is not the normal thing you do when you're mad at your leader. You don't stone your leaders. It's a specific punishment for breaking of a legal contract, we learn in the Old Testament. So rather than leaving the future up to chance, the people of Israel say, we don't trust you anymore, God. We want out of this relationship because you've broken your promise for the last time, God. Are you among us or not? So the charge has been given. And here is the hardening of the hearts. Do you see? It's so easy to understand, isn't it? Walking by faith through the wilderness of life, these pilgrims grow easily dehydrated, not just on the outside, but on the inside as well. See, they're not just dying of thirst physically, but they're also dying of thirst spiritually. Because in this difficult time of life, they don't want to trust God anymore. So rather than leaving the future up to chance, they're going to say, you know what? I can run my life my way. I can do it my way. It's understandable. Because all of us have faced those situations, those dark hours of the night when Situations in our lives just don't make sense. When seemingly bad things happen to good people. 
when it's a relationship that's just not mending, a marriage that's about to fall apart, a body that's been racked by cancer, whatever the difficulty may be, whether it's yourself, your family, or your finances, how easy it is, isn't it, to ask this question, God, are you among us or not? And it's in moments like this that the author of Hebrews says, don't harden your hearts, friends. I know it's, it's understandable. Don't harden your hearts like these Israelites. So the charge has been recorded. What's the verdict? Well, the verdict actually is verse five. Listen, did you notice in verse five, Moses goes ahead of the others. God says, go with some of the elders. Now this, this, this little detail is important because justice has to be served. True justice has to be served. So these elders and their presence is necessary for justice. But secondly, did you notice, God tells Moses to, to take in his hand this staff. And there's a little detail in the story. It says, take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. Moses didn't have to be told that. But God says, take in your hand your staff, which was used to strike the Nile River. Why that detail? What is this about? Friends, do you remember back when Moses was still in Egypt? And God wanted to teach Pharaoh about his power, his justice. God in his judgment against Pharaoh told Moses to take your staff and strike the Nile River, turning it into blood. And when he struck the Nile River, it was a strike of judgment against their life water, turning it into death blood. It was a strike of of judgment. And now God is saying, take in your hand the same staff because it will be used once again for the verdict. Guilty as charged. It will be used once again to bring judgment. And this, at this point in the story, we are called to ask, but who is the guilty party? Who is the faithless example mentioned in Psalm 95 and here in Hebrews 3? Are these charges correct? Has God really broken his promise to the Israelites? Who who is the guilty party? As you know, before Exodus 17, we read one of the most incredible stories in the history of the Israelites. As you remember, as the Israelites were running away from Pharaoh and his Egyptians, God miraculously opens up the Red Sea and close to two million Israelites walk through And as the last Israelite stepped up on the opposite shore of the Red Sea, Moses brings down his arms, remember? And then came the mighty roar of the waves, engulfing the Pharaoh and his Egyptian soldiers. And there the Israelites stood, hearing the cries of the soldiers, seeing the dead wash up on the shore, tasting tangibly the victory of the Lord. But that wasn't the first time the Lord has been faithful, right? Remember they were thirsty before this incident? Just one chapter before, they were thirsty. And so God says, Moses, throw in that log in the water, this bitter water, the water turned sweet, and they drank. But wait, there's more. It's like an infomercial. But wait, there's more. They were hungry before, remember? And God opens up the sky, and quail and manna comes out. And they get to eat. So time and time again, God has been so faithful to them. And yet at the first sign of trouble, 
how often our fickle hearts are so prone to forget God's faithfulness to us. And it's in those times of forgetfulness our hearts grow hard. And when they grow hard, we don't just question God, which is real and honest, but we actually go one step further and we rebel and reject God. And that's the challenge that the author here of Hebrews is telling us through Psalm 95, through Exodus 17, that the guilty party here is not God, not Moses, but the faithless ones are the people of Israel who represent us, who when we're going through difficult times, our hearts grow hard. Time and time again, the Lord has been there for the Israelites, yet at the very first sign of trouble, they doubt. They sow their seeds of doubt only to reap complaint and rejection. Yes, the desert is a hot and arid place. It's, easy, it's an easy place to dry up, isn't it? From the inside out. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah was right when he said that the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know this fickle heart? And if we're honest with ourselves, our hearts are so prone to wander, to turn away, so are the Israelites listening? Are they trusting? Are they following? Friends, as you consider Jesus, are you listening? Are you trusting? Are you following? Or are our hearts growing hard? Are we becoming too prone to the temptation to turn away and to be faithless? And so we need to hear this warning. We need to hear this warning that the author of Hebrews is, is telling us be careful, friends, because your hearts are so prone to grow hard easily. It's easy to sow seeds of doubt and reject God. It's so easy to become hard and grow astray. So consider your hearts, friends, is what the author of Hebrews is telling us. Then he goes, lastly, to the third consideration. He says, consider Jesus. He says, consider your heart. In the last section of this passage, he says, consider one another. Why? Because he knows that the Christian life is not a solitary journey, but it's one made with others. Why? Because you need others. Because it's hard. We need a community. We need a church. And one of the greatest privileges and responsibilities we have is to encourage and exhort fellow pilgrims on the way who struggle with hardened hearts. The wilderness is a tough place. And so we need one another. And so he states simply yet poignantly in verse 13. He says, friends, exhort one another every day. Friends, exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. His last command here is to call us to stop navel gazing and to look up and to look out and see the people around you maybe sitting right next to you today the people that God has placed in our life and to remind them of this truth. Why? Because look at verse 14. We have come to share in Christ. New life, we share in Christ. So let's exhort one another, he says. Let's point one another to the inheritance we have in Christ. And when we do that, our hearts may not grow hard against God and one another. Listen, he actually quotes the hardening of our hearts twice. In verse 8 and 15, in verse 8, he warns us against the hardening of our hearts toward God. And then in verse 15, he warns us against hardening our hearts against one another. 
for the preacher here in Hebrews, this great call to essentially love our neighbor is actually a matter of life and death. It's not an optional exercise because it actually involves life and death to him. As many fellow Israelites died in the wilderness due to their sin and unbelief and hardness of heart, he's actually warning us as we point hardened people to Jesus, as they believe, they are given life. Later on in chapter 10, he reminds us again of the importance of this truth of helping one another. Remember, they're called the lettuce passages. He says in verse chapter 10, starting in verse 19, he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and so we have, since we have this great high priest over the house of God. Now listen, he says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, Verse 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir one another up with love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. He says, because of what Jesus, our mediator, has done, he says, let us draw near, let us hold fast, let us stir one another, let us listen, let us trust, let us follow Jesus together. Friends, the preacher of, the, of, of, of Hebrews isn't done. As he quotes Psalm 95 twice to make his points, we actually need to finish off the story of Exodus 17. Because ultimately, what will motivate you to, to draw near, to hold fast, to stir one another up, to listen, to trust, to follow, and to not grow hard? What's going to ultimately motivate you? Who's going to motivate you more specifically to keep listening, to keep trusting, to keep following? Where did we leave the Israelites in Exodus 17? Remember the charge was presented, treason. A verdict was handed down. Guilty as charged, take your staff and judge the guilty person. What's next? The sentencing, right? But remember, the sentence for treason was death by stoning. If the people of Israel were guilty of being faithless, of breaking their promise to keep trusting in God, God in his justice must kill the Israelites. But what does God do? What is God's plan? Here at the, at the rock of Masa and Meribah is a triumph of God's grace that not only motivated the Israelites to keep walking, to keep swimming, to remain steadfast, but the grace that is available for all of us to keep going when it's hard. In verse 6, you'll notice in Exodus 17, Moses is commanded by the Lord to raise this staff of judgment. But what follows is one of the most amazing passages of Scripture. God says, before you strike the rock, let me stand before you and let me stand on the rock. And then he says, strike the rock. Why those details? Very important. Remember, this is the sentencing of judgment. 
God says, I will stand before you. In legal situations in the Old Testament, time and time again, it was the guilty defendant, the guilty criminal that is always called to go before the judge. Now God says, I will go before. Amazing. Secondly, he says, I will stand on the rock. I will symbolically identify myself with the rock. So those two prepositions, before and on, seemingly insignificant, but so important to understanding not only Exodus 17, Psalm 95, but even Hebrews 3. God says, I will go before you. I will stand on the rock. Now Moses, strike the rock so water will come out of it for the people to drink. God tells his servant to strike the rock with a staff of judgment. In the midst of all this doubt, despair, and defiance, faithless Israel would no longer trust that God was in control. And at the very first sign of trouble, they turned their back on God, only to reap judgment for their rebellion and rejection. And yet, in this amazing trial, in this desert courtroom, God says, I will take their place. I will take their judgment. I will be their substitute. I will take what they deserve so that they can live and keep swimming and remain faithful. Though entirely innocent, God will sacrifice himself and be their substitute. For God's promises to continue, he himself will receive the charge, the verdict, and the punishment. He will stand in their place. And as Moses lifts the staff of judgment and strikes the rock, what is the result? Water starts pouring out into that desert floor. Not just any old water, friends, but life-sustaining water. Water that not only satisfies the mouth, but enlivens the soul. For the rock in Masa and Meribah is not just any old rock, but the rock of ages. For in the fullness of time, the Apostle Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 10.4, he would write about these Israelites as he's talking to you and me. Friends, remember the Israelites and their hardened hearts? They all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Here the rock in Exodus 17 is a type of Christ. A preview of the full drama that will unfold for the listeners of Hebrew and for the listeners of even this sermon. Of God himself coming in Jesus for frail and fragile, faithless and defiant people like you and me who sometimes day after day, week after week, struggle. Who struggle with making sense when bad things happen. And when bad things happen, the, the writer of Exodus, the writer of Psalm, the writer of Hebrews encourages us, reminds us, friends, be careful. Don't, don't let your heart get hard. Keep listening. Keep trusting. Don't get hard-hearted, but keep following Jesus. Why? Because he sacrificed himself for you ultimately so you can enter into your promised land. And remember, remember when Jesus was on the cross and that sword was thrust into his side. What poured out onto that desert floor on Golgotha? Blood and water. 
It's no coincidence that there, there are all these references to water. You see, this is God's message for you who often go through thirst, who often go through parched lives, who find yourself in desert situations that lead our hearts astray. God understands. The preacher of Hebrews understands and is calling us to consider Jesus, to consider his cross, and as you consider that, to stay courageous, to stay hopeful, because hope is powerful. Because when you look to the cross, you see a Savior who loved us so much that he received the staff of judgment for our faithlessness, for our rebellion, our rejection, our hard-heartedness. Someone greater has come. Someone greater than Moses is here. Friends, indeed, in conclusion, Christ is the new Moses, the final mediator, leading God's new covenant people, us, in a new exodus to a new promised land. And he's calling us to new covenant obligations that we do out of joy, of gratitude, of love. Because of what Jesus has done for us, someone greater, we remain faithful Jesus is the faithful high priest on behalf of you, his brothers and sisters. Jesus became the merciful high priest by placing himself on the rock, the cross. Jesus is the son of God on behalf of you, his brothers and sisters. He, the heir of all things, went obediently to the cross as a substitutionary sacrifice. Jesus is the final mediator who on behalf of you, his brothers and his sisters, established a new covenant with better promises, with eternal significance, whose blood speaks a better word. This is the sacrificial love of our elder brother, Jesus. And this is the sacrificial love that will motivate you to remain steadfast. Let me finish with this story of sacrificial love that motivates. Two brothers decided to play on the sandbanks by the river's edge in St. Louis. And because that particular town near St. Louis depends on the river for commerce, dredges regularly clear its channels of sand and deposit and, and deposits it on great mounds next to the river. And for many of the children in this town, nothing is more fun than playing on these mountainous sand piles. And yet few things are more dangerous. While the sand is still wet from the river's bottom, the dredges dump it on the shore. And the piles of sand dry with rigid crusts that often conceal cavernous internal voids formed by escaping water. And so if a child climbs on a mound of sand that has this hidden void, the external surface easily collapses into a cavern. Sand from the higher higher up on the mound then rushes into the void, trapping the child in a sinkhole of loose sand. And this is exactly what happened when two brothers raced up one of the larger mounds. When the two boys did not return home for dinner time, family and neighbors organized a search, and they finally found the younger brother. Only his head and shoulders protruded from the mound. He was unconscious from the pressure of sand on his body, and so the searchers began to dig frantically. And they finally cleared the sand to his waist. He was finally roused to consciousness. They started shouting, Where is your brother? Where is your brother? He quietly replied, I'm standing on his shoulders. With the sacrifice of his own life, the older brother had lifted his younger brother to safety. 
Friends, so too did the one who is not ashamed, as Hebrews 2 calls us. So too did the one who is not ashamed to call us his younger brothers and sisters. At the cost of his own life, our elder brother freed us from the sin of hard-heartedness so that we might live eternally, standing before God on the sole shoulders of his righteousness. This is the grace of our Redeemer, our elder brother. And friends, this is the grace that will empower us to remain steadfast, to keep swimming. And we are also so tempted to give up. So friends, keep trusting, keep listening, keep following, no matter how difficult your pilgrim life may be. For these are just momentary afflictions. For someone greater has come. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and how it teaches us about our great elder brother and the great sacrifice of his life, death, and resurrection so that by standing on his shoulders, we might have life, we might have hope to not give up when our wilderness wanderings are difficult. And Lord, you know them. You know all the challenges we face, whether physical, emotional, psychological, relational. Father, you know the challenges even now that we face. And so, Lord, would you hear our hearts And we just ask that our hearts would not grow hard, but that we would remain soft in our hearts to you as we remember what Jesus has done for us, our apostle and high priest, the one greater than Moses, the one in whom we stand. And so thank you for Jesus, all that he's accomplished. And we ask that we would keep trusting in him. We would keep swimming even when it's hard because of all that he's done for us. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California, or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido, reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.